Well, my pebble is that I just feel that a lot of times we work with students and we've done some work with teachers, but we kind of forget about the parents being mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. And if the parents aren't a part of that, I just think we need to work and help them to understand how we're teaching math because we get all the questions about we're not doing the math that I did and it's different and it's more about understanding and helping the students to do that rather than memorizing and mimicking it. Really, a lot kind of is similar to the I do, we do, you do and switching that around. In this episode, we speak with Lenny Vermas from Lincoln, Nebraska. Now, Lenny joined us back on episode 159. We chatted all about not ditching your lessons and reversing the lesson model. And Lenny is back. Yes, Lenny, as you may recall, spent 28 years as a middle and high school classroom teacher, followed by an additional 16 years working to support math teachers. Is it now 17 years? Because I think that was the last time we spoke with him to support those math teachers. And he's here to work out some pebbles in his shoe around helping parents this time Mm -hmm. get on board with making math moments in our classrooms. This is another Math Mentoring Moment episode where we chat with a teacher or an educator just like you who is working through some problems of practice and together we brainstorm possible ways to overcome them. All right, Math Moment Makers, let's do it. Welcome to the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. We are from makingmathmoments.com. And together with you, the community of math moment makers worldwide who want to build and deliver problem-based math lessons that spark curiosity, fuel sense-making, and ignite your teacher moves. My friends, we are so excited to bring Lenny Vermas back onto the show. I don't know if you remember back in 159. If you don't, you should probably head on back there. But Lenny has a passion for educating and working with students, working with teachers. And this time, He's back to chat about how he intends to try to bring parents to the math conversation. And what is amazing about Lenny is the dedication he shows to education because at 70 years old, he's still volunteering his time in his grade three classroom, helping teachers in that school strengthen their relationship with mathematics, helping parents strengthen their relationship with mathematics. So stick around and you're going to hear thoughts from us, thoughts from Lenny on how to help parents strengthen that relationship with mathematics and their own children. All right, my friends, here we go with Lenny. Hey, hey there, Lenny. Thanks for joining us again here on the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. How are things going with you down in Nebraska? Well, they're going real well. We're moving right along. It's hard to believe we're in mm-hmm. 2023 already. And, the future. And uh, looking back at the last couple of years have been a lot of changes, but everything is moving forward very well. And uh, awesome. a couple of changes on my part. 
So yeah, awesome. We'll get into that for sure. This is your second time on the podcast. We had you way back on, I think, episode 159, which is about a year ago, Mm -hmm. when we talked all about not ditching your lesson, but changing the order of the way we presented and talked about productive struggle and the I do, we do, you do model. I know that we chatted a lot about that. You had a lot of actually great insights to share with the Make Math Moments community. So, Lenny, I also understand that we don't usually do this when we have our guests back on. When we talk about the first episode, you shared a math moment. We have everybody share a math moment. But I think you want to share another math moment. Let's do it. What's the other math moment you remember when we say math class? Okay, well, my this math moment is a current one. I would tell you that COVID was really hard on educators all over. And when it did in 2020... There were just a lot of different things going on, and going to the Zoom learning caused a lot of mm-hmm. problems for teachers and students. And as mm-hmm. a result of that, it, that was the downside of it. The upside for me was that being retired and not teaching is that there was almost unlimited resources available online. Mm. So I got to pretty much, and I just vegged out and watched all kinds of Zoom meetings and the math moment community and did all those things. So that was really nice. But my math moment actually comes because I had been working in schools and volunteering at an elementary school where my grandkids went. And Mm -hmm. when COVID hit and the rest of that year was all online learning, And then fortunately for Nebraska, most Nebraska schools started up in that fall, but with a lot of restrictions. They had Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. contact tracing. They weren't letting other people into school. Uh, So basically, I was not able to go to school to volunteer or do anything. But I visited with the principal to try to do something a little bit different. And he said that I could come in and read in some classrooms. And my very first classroom I went in, and and this was just a stroke of luck, was a third grade teacher that was in his second year of teaching, Simon Weedle. And he has two parents that were both teachers and was not like any other second year teacher I've ever seen. Hmm. My wife kind of said, well, he just kind of adopted me. And uh, so <laughs> since that time, I've been going in once or twice a week to help out in math class. And my experience was middle school, high school. This is third grade. I had read to third graders before, but just the math part and what they're doing in math class has really opened my eyes to a lot of things. And I still continue to read picture books and, of course, with a math lesson in them to the other students. About once a month, I'll go and meet with all the, just go into all the classrooms. But uh, it's really just opened my eyes. And Simon has just been so good. And we've had so many good conversations in his classroom that it's really been beneficial for me. And as a result, I've kind of switched my focus from working with teachers more to just being in the classroom with him. And then I want to look a little bit at how we can help parents understand what we're doing in our classroom. Mm, I love it. Well, I want to go all the way back to your point about gobbling up all that learning during COVID. And (laughs) it's interesting because I remembered I was listening to a podcast. I wish I could remember which one. And they were just discussing about how during that pandemic, there was sort of two ways you could treat it. You could treat it as an opportunity 
and look for those little tiny bright spots that mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. introduced to yourself. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you went about that in the right way. So you looked for those opportunities. I remember John and I also looked at those as opportunities. I thought about things like, holy smokes, my 45-minute commute to work and 45 minutes home. That's time that I've now gained back. And how can I take that time and do something productive with it? So kudos to you for finding that bright spot. I know there were so many challenges. It's not to discount it or say it was worth it. But when you're given those lemons to make the lemonade out of them like you did, I think is really great. And it's awesome to hear that you're back into the classroom. So the fact that now things are coming back to some sort of new normal and you're making it into the classrooms. And I really like how you're sort of shifting your focus away from just working with teachers, because don't get me wrong, when you're in there with students and you're doing work with students, you're helping teachers too, because you're modeling and you're setting great examples and they're watching your moves and things that probably are just feel natural to you are just from experience. The fact that you have all of those years, those decades of experience behind you. So again, kudos to you for that. And I'm wondering, why don't we dig right into it? Because you had mentioned this piece about parents. Mm -hmm. And I have a funny feeling that your current pebble in your shoe has something to do with that new sort of focus or lens that you're entering into the math classroom now. Hey, Math Moment Makers, Kyle here. And I've got just a quick message specifically for our district-level mathematics decision-makers out there. Do you feel like you're spinning your wheels when making district-level goals for mathematics programming from kindergarten through grade 12? Setting new goals each year only to find little to no real shift in pedagogical practice or educator content knowledge across the district as a whole? Take a moment to book a short call with our team so we can learn more about your specific district and educator learning needs in mathematics so we can assist you in taking the first step of many in the right direction. Visit makemathmoments.com forward slash district to book a web call with our team today. We have a limited number of spots for districts just like yours, so don't wait head to makemathmoments.com forward slash district and grab a spot in our calendar now. Well, my pebble is I just feel that a lot of times we work with students and we're done some work with teachers, but we kind of forget about the parents being Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. And if the parents aren't a part of that, I just think we need to work and help them to understand how we're teaching math, because we get all the questions about we're not doing the math that I did, and it's different, and it's more about understanding and helping the students to do that rather than memorizing and mimicking. Really, a lot kind of is similar to the I do, we do, you do, and switching that around. So parents just don't understand that. And so I think we need to work with parents to make Mm -hmm. sure that we're bringing them along. For sure. For sure. Lenny, what would you say you've done so far? And what did you do when you were in the classroom? And maybe there's a difference. Maybe there's something that when you were in the classroom, this is the way you helped parents understand what you were doing in the classroom. And then now having worked with teachers and being volunteering in classrooms and what you're doing 
currently, maybe that does look different. I'm wondering if you can compare the two and give us a snapshot on what you used to do and what you do now, just so that we can kind of dive into helping you along this pebble a little bit. I would actually say, especially when I was teaching, other than parent-teacher conferences, I didn't do very much. And if you remember, I taught at a school where I graduated from, and so I knew a lot of the parents. And I would always remind them that, well, you need to keep doing this math as we're going along, because at some point, (laughs) your kids are going to be asking you how to do that. So you need to keep learning how to do it. But I kept the parents informed what we're doing, but I don't remember there being... Mm -hmm. And I don't want to say a conflict, but I think there's a lack of understanding on parents' part about what's happening in the classroom. You mean now versus then? Yeah, especially with the switch. And and again, I'm probably looking more at elementary, but parents want to do the memorizing of the number facts. And Mm -hmm. I would share what one thing that made me aware of this is I had a grandparent because of my age, which more, and this also applies to grandparents, but her daughter Mm -hmm. was having trouble with math and she was elementary teacher. And she just said, and they were doing it some other way. And she just said, well, I just went in and showed her how to regroup and do it that way rather than the way they were doing it. And continually, as I'm with people trying to stress importance of understanding and rather than the mimicking and just doing without any understanding. And that's one of the things I think we need to work with parents on. I agree. We've chatted a lot about that here on the podcast as well. And when you shared that story, I think this is a common story for anyone who's listening to the podcast. They're math moment makers who are trying different things in the classroom and getting that kind of questions from parents or experiencing that disconnect, like you called it. But it just brought me to a story actually last night in my house. I was telling Kyle this last night. I was frustrated myself because it was actually a reverse story than what you're describing, Lenny. Like you're saying, parents want this memorization. Teachers are trying to teach things a little differently. We want more fluency, right? We want strategies on the focus and your productive struggle. We want kids to think first instead of just teaching them memorization techniques or tricks to memorize or procedures. And being a teacher of my own kids who come home from their classroom And they were studying for an algebra test last night. They're in the seventh grade. And they started to ask me, they wanted me to make them a worksheet. They wanted me to make them a practice test. And I said, oh, well, we can do that. And then they had made their own, which was great. And then so they were showing me a solution and it was solving an equation. It was like a two-step equation. And they had been, take the number, flip it to the other side, change the sign. And so, cause I said, well, how did you do this? Right. And they said that they said, oh, you're just supposed to change the sign. I said, okay, wait, let's back up a little bit here. Let's kind of go over some of the strategies of why that works. Do you know why that works? No, she just said, that's the way you do it. Right. <laughs> and that's gotta be the best way. <laughs> so It has to be the best way. So I'm going to pause the story there for just a moment and reflect back to what probably a lot of our teachers listening right now, their kids are going home. Their parents are trying to teach them that strategy. And there's conflict at home between the kid yes. and the parent, because it's not what's happening in the school. And the kid's probably telling the parent, but the teacher wants me to try it this way. And the parent It's like, no, you just got to do it this way. So there's tears. I'm sure there's tears at home. I'm sure there's yelling at home that happens. And so. John, John, are you saying that there was yelling last night? 
There was tears. There was tears last <laughs> night. And it's the reverse because I'm trying to help them see the strategies of thinking about balance, opposite operations when solving two-step equations. We're trying to draw a picture here. They wanted nothing to do with that, Lenny. Nothing to do with trying <laughs> no. to understand. They're like, just tell me if it's right, Dad. Come on, Dad. And it was <laughs> frustrating on my part because it was the night before the test and all they wanted to do was kind of cram. Uh-huh. Yep. And not relearn or not understand what was happening. So it was frustrating for me being, I wish we had started this a lot earlier because we could have built some skills and some understanding up here versus trying to put a pin in this so that they felt good to go home. So they're saying that, you know, that's not the way my teacher is going to do it, which <laughs> I was frustrated. But anyway, Lenny, <laughs> back to your story here about what's happening in your classroom. So what would you say you're doing to alleviate some of that disconnect that's currently happening. I know that we talked about you doing this probably the way we did it for a long time too, not mm -hmm. really connecting with parents to show them. What are you doing currently when you're going into these classrooms to kind of alleviate that disconnect? Yeah, well, I do want to go back because I actually had something similar to that. I'm <laughs> helping a ninth grade student and they were doing exponents and a very, she's doing algebra in eighth grade. So it has good math background, but she the first time we met, she, that's what she was working on. And so she knew the rules. We add those together. If you're multiplying, you add them together. I said, well, why is that? Because that's what the teacher said to do. And yeah. so I think there's a lot of places where teachers need to help with that understanding. I think that a lot of times they give the rules as well and, you know, say, well, A to the fifth times A to the third is five A's and three A's. And, right. So you end up with A days in lots of ways. But I would go back to one thing, and I thought it was interesting this morning on Good Morning America, which I don't know if you get that. You get that in Canada? Or? We get that. Yeah, We're, we get that. Yeah. Okay. Tom, <laughs> We're so Tom close Brady to the border. Yeah. We get, get America TV. Tom Brady was on, and they had a segment on Wait, who's that? Uh, why, I want my, why I want my kids <laughs> to fail. And, and well, okay, uh, it was all the things you learn from failing. Michelle Obama right. had kind of a neat one, and I did pull it out. So it's in her book, The Light We Carry. And she said, it's frightening to watch your child walk into a brick wall, but that is what growth is. Too many parents try to stop that process. So I think I parents, it. teachers, and grandparents need to understand that Time needs to be expended and kids learn from their mistakes. And we're way too quick to jump in. And what happens then is that they you show them a trick. And then the kids the next time they say, well, what's the trick for this one? And right. so they, they're always looking for that trick rather than understanding. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. think that's something that's very important that we need to help parents and teachers and kids understand it. Because like you said, the better kids are the worst at that. Tell me how to do it and be done. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And it's interesting because I was just having a, a similar conversation, not necessarily about parents in particular, but just working with educators. But I think the same is true because, John, you've experienced the opposite. It's like reverso land where you're trying to get your children to see math as something more than just steps and procedures and at least your children's interpretation, it doesn't even mean that the teacher explicitly wanted them to just know one step or one way, but that's how the, the kids interpreted it. And in reality, it's almost like really trying to get a sense. And John and I have talked about wish lists before with teachers. 
and districts, for example, where mm-hmm. we go through this wish list of like, what do you want for students? And very rarely do you hear teachers articulate, and I would argue parents are the same, that they just want kids to just have a bunch of stuff memorized. No one ever comes out and says that. They want them to be fluent. They want them to understand. But oftentimes, I think we aren't quite sure what that really means, what that looks like. And a word that I've been trying to use more often, and this is a Kathy Fosno-inspired word, is this idea of behaviors. Like We talk about patterns in math. When we do certain things in math, there are behaviors that emerge. So, for example, today I was working with a group of educators and we were working on doing some purposeful math talks. So using a specific strategy and a specific model for eliciting a new idea. And this was about choral counting. And we started with this idea of adding 10 pick a number and then going around the room and letting kids add 10. And you take your time, you write it down, you make sure it's not a race and it's not a competition by any means. You just want to give students this comfort in getting fluent with this idea. Okay, great. And you're writing down these numbers. If you started at eight, now you have 18 written down, 28, 38. Okay, great. Next day or when you feel they're ready, you might do something like, okay, pick a number. Let's say we picked eight again. All right, I write down eight. This time, I don't want you to add 10. I want you to add nine. And it's almost natural where students would go, okay, well, it's like the same as adding 10 and taking one away. And when you write it down and you see eight, and then you see 17, and then you see 26, and then you see 35, and you ask students what behavior of addition is taking place here when you add nine. And what students will see is they're like, well, the tens column Mm -hmm. is going up by one, which is essentially adding 10. Mm -hmm. And the ones column is going down Down by by one, one. which we Mm -hmm. would then help them to articulate as taking one away. So it's like, wow, look at the strategy that we've just come up with here to add nine to any number. You don't have to go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, or adding on those nine, <laughs> mm-hmm. or and you don't have to know what nine plus any number is. You just have to know what any number plus 10 is, and then go down by one. And that's a behavior. Then that's just one simple example of when you compare that with parents, and you sort of said, like, say, would you rather your child be armed with this ability to reason through, to be able to leverage the behaviors of the mathematics, or would you rather them just know a bunch of random facts that are all disjointed and kind of working independently? And what you tend to get, I've yet to have a parent sort of say, no, I don't want that, right? Like, I think when they see that power it's really hard for them to sort of say, that's not a great idea. I think most people are going like, wow, look at what we got. We sort of got what I wanted in the first place, which is the end goal of students being fluent, maybe with Mm -hmm. a fact or Mm -hmm. addition facts or whatever it might be. But you got there through a really conceptual and almost like leveraging that adaptive reasoning and the strategic competence of mathematical proficiency that we want for all students. We want those things and we can build them together. We can build them and intertwine them as we go. And it sort of makes me wonder about some things that maybe you might think about in that school is like maybe 
trying to maybe rally some teachers into maybe having like a parent night and maybe you could help them with some of those activities. Maybe you're one of the special guest speakers that kind Mm -hmm. of engages parents in some of the routines that you're doing or that the teachers are doing in their classrooms so that parents kind of are invited to that conversation and they can sort of start to see why teachers are asking students for strategies. A lot of times people think they're like, this is just more confusing. And in reality, it's like, well, it's only confusing if you don't have the full picture. But when you're invited to that conversation and you start to understand the actual full story, you start to see how it actually makes a whole lot of sense. So it makes me wonder, and maybe we'll flip it back to you to kind of get your thoughts on where your head is at with that. If there, maybe there's some opportunities in some of that school day or that structure where there could be this maybe math conversation where parents are invited in and can sort of kind of be brought to the conversation. And so they don't feel so in the dark about why teachers are doing quote unquote new math, right? When Mm -hmm. in reality, we're trying to better understand that math. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know in third grade that we're doing more multiplication. So the one thing I always get, you know, like six times nine, I don't even know how it works, but they put their fingers up and they do this one Mm -hmm. down and they do that trick. Yeah, I think parents for fluency expect the speed deal. Like when you say six times nine, you need to know that's 54. Right. But the experts would say, well, you can do six times 10 is 60 Mm -hmm. and subtract six, or you can do six times three is 27 and add two 27s. And I think, and I like what you said, those are the things I think we need to show parents to help them see that it's not about the speed of it. So I, I have some ones like, what if you had 999 plus 999? And I envisioned this because I thought about doing, you know, some presentations for parents and mm-hmm. parents getting out their paper and going 999, you know, and then yeah. Yeah. putting the eight down and regrouping and bringing a one, you know, bringing a one, bringing a one, <laughs> you know. And so seeing that you can take one away and compensate right. or even the subtraction, if you have a thousand two minus. 998, you know, doing all that regrouping that you look at the distance between those. And so, so I, I think there's some things to show parents why it's important. Mm-hmm. I know our parents didn't learn those strategies, but mm-hmm. I think a lot yeah. of them, if you give them that, would do it that way. I think so, too. I completely agree because I think we build up our own strategies when we don't have paper and pencil in front of us, when we're at our workplace, we're out and about and we have to do quick mental calculations, I think you start Mm -hmm. to develop certain strategies that tend to make sense to you and actually are translatable. And and I think think a lot of parents aren't understanding or seeing that that's exactly what we're trying to do with number sense strategies in the classroom. And I think if we can bridge that gap, like what Kyle has mentioned, what you've mentioned here, Lenny, by showing that we're really on your side here, we want these strategies. Would you rather have these mental strategies, which you're using anyway, in your life, but would we rather have those than, say, breaking out the pencil and paper and trying to do a stacked algorithm to solve this problem where you normally wouldn't? So I think a lot of times if you present it the way you just said is if, hey, do this and you're not doing a paper and pencil strategy, you've done something else. That's what we want to happen with our students. And I know that I think in my experience, sometimes parents have that disconnect for what's happening in the classroom because they feel like or the student feels like 
they are not learning the way they think they should, or they're not getting the support the way they feel like they should be getting that support. So sometimes a student might come home, talk to mom and dad or whoever's at home about what's happening in the classroom. Student might feel as supportive in the classroom if they're not getting the strategies. Mm-hmm. They share that with parents at home. Parents go, well, that's weird. And so all of a sudden this disconnect happens and parents start to question what's happening in the classroom because they're really just concerned about the growth of their own child yeah. and they're hearing that there is concern here from the child themselves. And they're also experiencing like, that's not exactly <laughs> what I remember from math class. Mm-hmm. So I think coming from a place of love that parents want to help their kid as much as possible. And so come to the school and go, Hey, what's going on in math class? So I think if we, as educators are coming at it also from a place of love and growth for the student, in saying, we're also looking for these strategies. As long as our students are feeling supported, I think we get a lot less disconnect with our parents because kids will then be going home feeling successful in math class, sharing that success with parents. And parents are like, amazing. I'm so glad you feel successful in math class because I never did. And I'm seeing that with the strategies you're doing. Wow, that is very insightful the way you just solved that problem. I think sometimes a lot of that disconnect can be solved with making sure everyone feels supported on where they are in in their in their growth in math class. Hey there, math moment makers. Are you a dedicated listener? Like I'm talking, have you been listening for a couple of months, maybe even a couple of years? Well, if you haven't taken a moment to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform, it would mean so much to us. It'll take you under one minute uh, so that you can help more educators see and experience the Making Math Moments That Matter podcast. Uh, Do us this huge solid. Uh, We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And uh, here is today's episode. And I think you just need to help the parents understand that. And that's our goal. We both have the same goal of what we want. And so I think it's helping the parents to see that. And I think a a big part of what you said is I think students need to feel good about math. They need to experience that wonder, joy, and beauty of math. And, you know, you talked about crying and, you know, how many parents remember in third grade when they couldn't memorize their formulas, you know, they had these bad memories. I I think those are the things that we need to try to work with parents to help them develop that love of math that they maybe don't have. Absolutely. And you had mentioned something too. You talked about it with the exponents piece where you were saying students adding the exponents when multiplying powers with the same base. And I think that question where you said, but why does that work? I think if as long as we're constantly doing that, we will always get further than just saying a trick is bad. Because you know what I just realized in this episode? And friends, I was today years old when I figured this out. But I just told you the number talk we were discussing about adding nines. And I finally sort of made the connection as to why the finger trick actually works. And Lenny, you sort of said you weren't even sure exactly how the (laughs) finger trick works, but I'm going to attempt it. And those who are on YouTube can see my hands here. But if this is 10, and then we think about that math talk that I did, and I was to go like this, all right, I put down one because one times nine is nine. And then 
When I get to two times nine, look what happens. These represent the ones and this represents the tens. My ones went down by one. My tens went up by one, which we just discussed. And if you were writing this down on the board at the same time, you could actually kind of experience this together. So now I have three. My third finger in a row is down. And I see that my tens have gone up. So now I have two tens Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and I mm -hmm. now have seven ones. Mm -hmm. I see it. And because my hands, I'm lucky enough to have 10 wonderful appendages here that I'm able to do this (laughs) trick. And you can see that what I just described to you through that mini lesson, that actual string of problems could be such a great way. Like imagine a world where you were to show the students that trick, but after they experienced the actual counting and addings of nines and then sort of showing them and sort of making that connection so that if they ever saw that trick again, because I'm sure they would, I think everyone listening has either used the trick, maybe taught kids that trick even, or (laughs) Uh they've heard of it and they just weren't exactly sure how it worked and they just never bothered because they knew their times tables. But What you now have is this sort of like a segue. So I'm even imagining, too, if you were able to get parents to come in and you were to find some of those tricks. And if you look on YouTube and you look at Japanese multiplication, you'll see I have a video on that. And I use quotation marks because some people call it that. Some people call it stick multiplication. Some people call it all these things. There's a reason why that quote unquote trick actually works. And it all has to do with place value and the base 10 blocks. And so my wonder is if maybe that's an entrance for you to have that conversation is maybe by having some parents share some of the tricks that they've learned along the way. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're going to have to have in your back pocket sort of like, how are you going to help one of those tricks be brought to life? But the finger trick may be one of those where you Mm -hmm. actually get them to do the math and just think of how much more they'll take from that when they go, holy smokes, there's a reason that works. And if I (laughs) ever forget, I can go back and make the connection, right? Which is why we want kids to have that conceptual understanding. So I want to thank you, my friend, for coming on and helping me to land on something that I didn't really know uh, why it worked. I just knew it worked. So thank you for that. And I wonder if we flip the mic back to you, what's a big takeaway here from this conversation that might help you as you head back into the schools and try to help get or reach your goal of having more parents sort of come to this conversation? One thing you said there that I think is important, and I don't know if you realize that you said you would show them this trick after they had done that activity. And I think Mm. a lot of times when students have been shown an algorithm for doing something, it spoils all the informal alternate ways of learning they have. And I think that once you've seen that, you can't undo it. So I think that that's something. But I've actually started a little bit of doing a couple ideas. One is to kind of write an article Actually, I have a local paper here I talked about writing an article maybe every other week about with some of these topics. I think you need to start positive. And so I like mm-hmm. bedtime math or math before bed as a way, because a lot of times parents know they need to read to their kids 
and they know math is important, but they don't know mm-hmm. how to do it. So I think that's a good mm-hmm. place to start. And some of those things, Agreed. and then maybe some things like a growth mindset to give them some ways. Or I always say that as mathematicians, we see math everywhere. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like you're going down the road and you're doing all this math and helping parents to see that they need to continually be bringing up those things. How many times have you been asked, do they teach county giving back change in school anymore? Mm -hmm. And I say, well, a lot of it is kids don't have change anymore. But then right. I would also say, how many times have you practiced that with your child as a way of doing mm-hmm. it? And then getting into some more of those tougher ones as well. Simon had an idea, by the third grade teacher I work with, of maybe mm-hmm. having kids make little flip grid videos or something mm. on something they're learning to show their parents. I, right. I know some books actually have that as well, too. I think some textbooks where you can click on it, it kind of shows what they're trying to do. But I kind of looked at maybe doing something like that. I think about this, too. And I, this is a conversation you just jogged my memory. There was a school we were working at, and this was a couple of years back. And they were talking about this and they were sort of saying, how can they help the students share with their parents? And we were saying, imagine once students are really fluent using a strategy flexibly and sort of challenging the students as sort of their homework or whatever you want to call it, their take home activity that they're going to do is teaching their parents the strategy. But like first getting the students to almost show off a little bit on how efficient they've become using the strategy. Mm. That I think is really helpful. And I think one of the pieces too that we often forget is usually kids come to the parent when they're struggling. Mm -hmm. So if they're struggling with this strategy that the parent doesn't know, the parent is automatically assuming, well, the reason you're struggling is because you're using this crazy old, why are you doing all this stuff over here? And with all these pictures, you could just carry the number and everything's great. So I wonder too, if we're more intentional about having students share what they're learning when they don't need the help, because if it's only when they need help, then it's almost like every time a parent experiences math, it's almost like in the negative, right? It's in a yeah. crisis situation. Yeah. Right. Like if this was a great idea, then you would get it, yeah. right? If it was such a great strategy, how come you don't understand it, right? So I wonder too, if there was almost like uh, something intentional there where once students get a little bit of like a grasp or maybe you refrain from letting students bring home material that they don't already have a good grasp on. That's a great Mm -hmm. concept. It's like you could do the lagged homework sort of thing where it's like two weeks ago, we were looking at this thing. Now that you're comfortable with it, bring it home to do some purposeful practice. And then there's kind of two wins there. It's the student gets more practice with it, but then also the parents get to see, holy smokes, you're becoming pretty efficient with that strategy that I never knew Mm -hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah. I like that idea. And I I think I would say with the homework, I know at least in elementary, they don't do a lot of homework just because Mm -hmm. homes are different for all kids. And a lot of times with everything going on, they don't have time. But I like that idea of having students say, and I think if you prepare them, say, we want you to go home and show this to your parents tonight and make sure that they kind of have a good understanding of it, but then being able to show their parents what they're doing as a way, Mm because it it reinforces what they've done. 
Mm -hmm. It creates a little bit of a bond between the parent and the child and the school. Mm -hmm. So I do like that idea. I'd like it as well. And it goes back to that success and feeling that success so that everybody's on the same page that, hey, these things are working. We do have some success here. Let's celebrate those. Lenny, we want to thank you so much for joining us here for a second time. There's not too many people that are up here on the second time. So we want to probably make this a third time. We're going to be looking to invite you back probably on the same time period. We like to have okay. see where everybody goes, so have them back. We have another where are they now kind of moment and we chat about what their pebbles are currently. So we're so glad that you shared your pebble with us and we can chat about that here. What do you say? Can we bring you back on next year? I would love to do that. I'm 70. I'm no longer getting paid for what I'm doing, but uh, I enjoy it. So I'm going to continue. So yeah, I would love to do that and kind of awesome. see what I'm able to put together. Amazing. I love it. I love it. Lenny, it has been an honor, as John has just mentioned. We would love to hear that voice on the podcast <laughs> again sometime soon. You're doing great work. It's amazing that Obviously, you had a calling to be working with students and teachers, and you have this love for mathematics. Know that you are having a much greater impact and influence on the math community than you will ever realize. So keep up the great work, my friend, and we can't wait to hear from you again soon. Well, thank you very much. And thanks for all that you do with your ever all of your trainings and your podcast and everything you're doing. So it I think there's a lot of teachers and kids and parents that still have room to grow. So totally you're providing that. Totally. Awesome. You're uh, okay. very welcome there. That's uh, that's one of our main goals here at Make Math Moments. So thanks again, Lenny. And okay. we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you very much. Chat soon, my friend. As always, both John and I learned so much from these conversations, and in particular today, I learned or the idea Ooh, emerged as to how that nine times table finger trick works. And oh my gosh, it's not really I, a trick. No. It actually makes sense, just like Total sense. all mathematics. So my friends, how are you going to ensure that you hang on to your new learning so it doesn't wash away like footprints in the sand? I don't know about you, but I like to reflect by either re-listening to these episodes. That's what I do to reflect. Other people like to write them down. Maybe some of you want to have a conversation with a colleague, a partner, maybe even some of the students that you're working with. Whatever you choose, make sure that you do something to ensure the learning sticks. And what better way than to take a moment right now and head over to do a rating and a quick little review. Maybe it's the quick takeaway that you want to share in that review box. You don't know how awesome it feels when we get to read those reviews each and every week. And not only that, it helps more math educators just like you get access to this particular show. And if you aren't sure, we're on all social media platforms, so you can reach out to us over there. We are always looking to engage in more conversation on the topics from our episodes. So you can reach us at, at Make Math Moments on all social media platforms. So to ensure you don't miss out on the new episodes as they come out each week, be sure to hit that subscribe button. And like Kyle said, leave us a review. Hey, friends, show notes, links to resources, and complete transcripts are available on our website over at makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 219. That is makemathmoments.com forward slash episode 219. Well, math moment makers, you know what time it is. 
I'm Kyle Pierce. And I'm John Orr. High fives for us. And a high five for you. If you are a district leader of mathematics, a math coach, a math curriculum coordinator, a superintendent and principal, getting teacher buy-in for effective math teaching practice is top of mind. And plans only go so far. You can make you know detailed plans and, and carefully designed goals with clear objectives and key results that are measurable. But that can feel like it all falls flat if we can't engage our teachers in the work. Working with teachers who do not want to change their teaching practices is one of the most frustrating and challenging parts of our job. How do I help teachers engage in effective teaching practices when they keep pushing us away? If you can't reach the tipping point in mass adoption of effective mathematics teaching strategies, then it's it's likely we won't see student improvement in mathematics. We have a free training uh, an accompanying workbook for leaders of mathematics like you. Uh, the, math, the Make Math Moments team, myself, John, and Kyle, walk you through our four-stage process uh, we use with district partners to create clear, measurable, sustainable PD action plans, but more specifically on how to also get teacher buy-in so that it drives student engagement. So step one, register for this free training, get your planning workbook, um, and then watch the training. Schedule some time on your calendar so you can watch it and go through the workbook. After completing that workbook, you're going to have a clear, measurable vision, action plan for mathematics to get more teacher buy-in, but also be able to hit your goals for the 2024-2025 school year. So head on over to makemathmoments.com forward slash four stages to start this free training.